You're listening to the Covenant Original Series Minority. How you use your attention moment to moment determines the person that you become. Here is part two, focus of minority. So a little over a month ago, I did something that I never, ever, ever thought I would do. I purchased a flip phone. And by purchasing a flip phone, I mean that I traded in my smartphone for, once again, a flip phone. Did you all see that action? You want to see it one more time? There it is. This is a real flip phone. Um, And by real flip phone, I mean that it is a non-internet accessing not even a chance at FaceTiming, no Instagramming, not angry birding, T9 texting, bottom of the line, flip phone. Now, uh, you're probably thinking, well, finally, he's, he's, actually, he's actually lost it. Uh, I knew he had a lot of kids. I didn't know it would wear on him that quickly. I did know that he purchased a farm, but now he's purchased a flip phone What's next? Maybe two horses and a buggy. And that's fair. That's a fair statement. I want to let you know I feel like that's fair. But before you judge me, let me give you a little bit of a story. Is that okay? Um, It was about a month ago, my wife and I took our kids trick-or-treating. And upon getting out of our our van, our minivan that we have, uh, they're all dressed up in different outfits, looking awesome, and, and everybody's kids were looking great. I noticed something. And I don't know if I noticed it because it was dark and I could just kind of see bright things around, which at first I thought were lights. It turned out that it it seemed like every single person was just walking around with a child in one hand and a cell phone or a device in the other. And as they walked down the sidewalks, it was almost as if they were just scrolling through whatever was on their device. And then when their child would go dressed up, all cute, Halloween, would run up to grab some candy. They would instantly turn real quick, and then it was like they were living the moment through a screen. And I wanted to say, like, hey, the picture better if you watch it happen live, right? But it's almost like they insisted on just doing that. And upon the kid getting the candy and running back, they would grab their hand and go back to walk into the next house just looking through their phone. And a question came to mind. Is that what I look like? Later on, we went to dinner, which is always an event, let's be honest. We got seated, and, uh, and, and all of our kids are settled down. And, and I don't know if it's just because it was on the top of my mind or what, but I began scanning the room. And what I saw equally scared and frustrated me. Because I saw husbands and wives sitting across from each other, not talking, not making eye contact, but staring at phones or devices. I saw tables filled with families sitting together, but really separate from each other. Teenagers with phones, devices, parents, kids, nobody talking. And again, the question came to mind, like, is that me? Now, I'm not anti-technology. I'm not going all Walt Whitman on you. I'm not anything like that. The robots aren't here to kill us yet. Not there, okay? And I don't want to sound self-righteous, but I can tell you this. I can tell you I don't want that to be me. I want to live 
a more intentional life. I want to be focused on whatever I'm focused on 100%. When I have a conversation with my wife, I want to be 100% in that conversation most of the time. When I have a conversation with my kids, I don't want to be 50% in that conversation. I want to be 100% where I am when I'm there. I want to be focused in the relationships I have. I want to be focused in the people that I love. I want to be focused with the people that I pray with, the people that I lead, and the God that I serve. And so for me, for me personally, I, I, I challenged myself to get this flip phone. I walked literally the next day into AT&T, and I said, I need to exchange my phone. And the lady looked at the current phone I had, and there was a newer model, and she said, oh, you're going to love the new model. It's great. And I said, actually, I need to downgrade a little bit. She goes, oh, okay. And she goes, what were you thinking? And I was like, well, what's the worst phone you guys carry? And she said, okay. And she took me to buy some phones. And, and I said, these are still way too nice. I'm talking like way, way down the line. She said, well, you don't carry those. You'll have to go across the street and buy one. You can come back and we'll activate it. And I said, okay. So I went and bought a new phone for $9. And I brought it back and they activated it. Funny story, as she was activating it, she said, now we do offer an insurance plan. Would you like insurance on your phone? I said, oh, well, how much is the insurance? She said, $10. I said, no, I don't think I need it. I could just buy a new phone at any point in time, right? This was my act of defiance to, to distraction. This was my attempt for one year to live with, with a flip phone. This is my defiant act to be able to become somebody who can concentrate. Concentrate. Who can concentrate? I just want to be more focused. Concentration, by the way, if you're taking notes this morning, I want to show you this. Concentration is at the center. I don't know if you realize this, but concentration is at the center of focus. Did you know that? In fact, you could say it like this. Long-term focus only takes place when there's short-term conversation, uh, uh, concentration. Long-term focus only takes place when there is short-term concentration. No concentration, no focus. And therein lies the problem, right? That, that's a problem for us. Because we live in a culture where, where we medicate, we caffeinate, and we meditate because we cannot concentrate. So we overindulge on all three of the other things. And I think that's largely due to the fact that there, we're just plagued with so many distractions. We're often told to concentrate, but never actually told how to concentrate. Think about the sixth grade version of you. I remember being in sixth grade, sitting in math class, and my teacher, Mrs. Cook, saying to me, Travis, Mr. Davenport, would you please concentrate on your math equation? And I remember saying, like, I'm, or thinking, like, I'm trying to concentrate, but I don't know how. And so I would squint my eyes and like scrunch my head and squeeze my pencil and try to concentrate and figure out how a letter could ever actually equal a number. And I never could concentrate good enough to figure it out. We're taught that we need to, but we're not taught how to. And distract, uh, distraction is always the enemy. Now here's the question. Why is distraction the enemy? 
of concentration. Well, I'll tell you. Think about this. Maybe you'd agree. How you use your attention, moment to moment, will largely determine what kind of person you will become. What you think about, what you concentrate on. From moment to moment, where you place your attention will largely determine what type of person you become. You know, the first few days of, 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 of being Sam's uh, smartphone and living in the reality of a flip phone, I found myself going through what I can only describe, and no disrespect to anyone, but the only way I can describe it is like symptoms of withdrawal. Like I had this internal, like this visceral desire to like, reach down and grab out my smartphone and just, oh, how good would it feel just to look at my news feed? Oh, man, I, I need to look at my Snapchat. Oh, man, I need to see my Instagram. I need to. I, I found myself having this habit of just reaching down and grabbing for my phone, even though there's actually no purpose to do so. And for the first few days, that's exactly what I did. Distraction is the enemy of concentration. Now, here's the thing. If that is the case, if this is actually true, then we must make sure that we focus and that our focus, rather, is fixed on the right things, not necessarily on the things right in front of us. We must, as followers of Christ, as people that believe in Jesus and call him our Savior, we must focus on the right things, not necessarily just the things that are right in front of us. There's an account in Scripture which illustrates this and speaks to it perfectly. And it's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 4. And it's, and it's an amazing portion of Scripture for a number of reasons and, and at a number of levels. But for the context today, we're going to be reading it. And I want you to understand that it's, it's at a time in Jesus' life when he's just about to begin his ministry. Chapter 4 and verse 1 says it like this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's a fair statement, I feel like. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, and you can hear the arrogance in Satan's voice, can't you, coming through the text? Throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it's written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Once again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these will I give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus was a master of focus. Jesus was the master of focus. 
Even from a very young age, Jesus exhibited an extreme amount of focus. And his focus always revolved around accomplishing, doing the will of his Father. In fact, in the book of John, chapter 6, Jesus, in his own words, tells us that he came from heaven not to accomplish his own will, but rather to accomplish the will of the Father. And so when we read this account in Matthew chapter 4, we already know what Jesus' focus is. What is it? It's accomplishing God's will. And yet Satan comes to throw Jesus off at his game. He can throw a little bit of a distraction there. So he tries to provide some. And he first tempts Jesus with food. Now, let's just be real. That would be hard for some of us in here. Can I get an amen on that at least? Yes? How many of us would say we're tempted with food? In fact, how many of us would say we're distracted with food? For many of us, we're lucky that they don't have open markets on the side of the road while we're driving on the highway. It's so distracting for us. We probably switch lanes unintentionally. Such is the case for Jesus. The man's been not eating for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus, to say the least, probably has the munchies. He is hungry. Hashtag that. Save your munchies. He is hungry to say the least. And so Satan shows up and he says, if you are the Christ, if you are Jesus, why don't you command those stones to turn into bread? How does Jesus respond? Jesus responds by quoting scripture, doesn't he? Jesus responds to the distraction with scripture. Quoting Deuteronomy 6, he says, you shall not test the Lord. Satan goes on and he says, rather, I'm sorry, he quotes, he doesn't quote that, he quotes Deuteronomy where he says, man should not live by bread alone. The next is when Jesus actually says that. Satan tempts him by telling Jesus that he should throw himself off of a, off of a tall building because then God will have to save him. This is basically a test to see if God is actually the provisional father that Jesus has said he is and that, that scripture has claimed he would be. How does Jesus respond to this distraction? Deuteronomy 6, 6 he says, you shall not test the Lord. And then a third time, Satan tempts, distracts Jesus. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says that if he bows down to him, that what? All of it will be his. Once again, how does Jesus respond to this distraction? He quotes scripture from the Old Testament. Yet again, by saying, you shall worship the Lord your God in him only, only, should you serve. Satan's temptations were intended to act a distraction from Jesus' focus, which was doing the will of the Father. So what did Jesus do every time? How did Jesus react to the distraction? He quoted Scripture. Now, this is no new insight for any of us. We've probably read this passage a hundred times. You've probably heard this passage preached even more times than that. But I wonder if we've missed something in it. What is happening here, really? I think that there's something taking place on a much deeper level. See, Jesus wasn't just quoting Scripture. You get that, right? 
He wasn't just quoting scripture. Jesus was giving us an inside look into what he concentrated on from moment to moment to moment. Jesus' true concentration was God's word. Let me say it like this. Jesus concentrated on God's word, which allowed him to stay focused on what? God's will. Jesus concentrated on God's word, which allowed him to stay focused on God's will. Remember, long-term focus requires short-term concentration. And notice that Jesus didn't have to pull out the Old Testament scrolls to talk to Satan. It wasn't as if Satan said, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus was like, hold on, I got to find out a verse to use against that. And then went through all of his scrolls. And then said, hold on, I can't find it. Let me get my smartphone. Oh, that's right, I traded it in. Um, hold on, let me, let me phone a buddy to... No, Jesus knew the word. It was in him. Jesus spoke the word because it was alive in him. Jesus had memorized scripture. I think there's something to that, do you? I think there's something deeper going on here. Jesus memorized scripture, which means that Jesus had practiced knowing scripture. Now, it's interesting. A neurologist will tell you that focus is like a muscle. The more that you use it, the stronger it will become. And I thought maybe we could run a little bit of a test here on that today. Would you like to join me? I want you to do something for me. I want you just to take your hands, your arms, and just kind of let them lay limp next to your body. Can we do that? Just go like this. Just kind of move your shoulders around. There you go. Very good. This is really simple. I think you're going to pass. I want you to take your arms and just, just cross them. Just fold them. Just normally. Just kind of fold them. There you go. There you go. Some of you ladies are a little too good at that. I'm going to be honest with you. All right, cool. You there? You feel good? All right, now, now put them back down to your side. Kind of, just kind of move them around a little bit. Now, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing again, except this time I want you to take, to take the opposite arm and try to put it on top. Okay, let's try that this time. Fold your arms, but this time use the other arm on top. How does that feel? A little strange, right? Keep them right there. Keep them right there. A little strange. It doesn't feel, it feels a little bit awkward. It feels a little strange. You can put your hands down. Now, what's inter about, interesting about that is that it's uncomfortable. But here's, here's the case. If you were to begin practicing folding your arms like that, which I don't know why you would, if you have that time, give me a call. I can find something for you to do. But if... <laughs> But if you begin practicing that, pretty soon it would become natural. It would become easy. You would do it without even thinking about it. It would become second nature to you. Because why? You get good at what you practice. You get good at what you practice. That's a good thing. But it's also a bad thing. Because for many of us, we have been practicing distraction our entire lives. You know what? You want to know why you're so good at being distracted? Because it's what you've practiced your whole life. You've never practiced being focused. You don't know how to sit still. We don't know how to maintain a closed mouth. We, we, we can't sit and pray for a long time. We have lived a life filled with distraction. We've given in to distractions for so long that it's just become second nature for many of us. We don't live with any focus. See, by and large, I cannot control the distractions in my life. They will always be there. There will always be social media that demands my immediate request. You need to respond now. 
There will always be some new TV show that I must binge watch. There will always be some app that I have to download. Let's go deeper. There will always be the distraction of stress. There will always be the distraction of anxiety. There will always be the distraction of depression. There will always be the, 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 the distraction of, of, of doubt. And while we cannot control all these distractions, we can't control necessarily all the distractions that come our way, you know what we can do? We can control our reaction to them. We can't control the distraction, but we can control the reaction. But understand, and this is the key, listen now. Understand that your reaction to them is going to come out of what you have been focusing on, what you have been concentrating on, what you have been thinking about the most from moment to moment to moment, because how you use your attention from moment to moment to moment will largely shape who you become. So, for those of us who are solely focused on just making it through today. The finances are bad. The kids are crazy. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just making it through today. Guess what? Your life will be filled with stress. Constant. And you know that because you've lived that. It's become second nature. Stress has become this hated individual who lives with you at all times. For those of us who focus on our kids' happiness solely, your life is going to be constantly going up and down, up and down, up and down, depending on the mood of your children on any given day. For those of us who are so focused on what others think about us, our lives are going to be filled with anxiety over comparison because we've allowed it to, to shape us. Do you see what I'm getting at? See, I've always thought that as a, as a Christian, that I was supposed to read Scripture daily, right? But do you know what I'm really discovering? I'm, I'm discovering that I must read Scripture. It has to be the thing that I concentrate on from moment to moment to moment. It must be central to my life. I must get in front of God daily. I must spend time for him because I live out of what I concentrate on. I must keep it in front of me. I must stay focused on it in order to accomplish God's will in my life. That's why David in, in Psalm 119 tells us that God's word is a lamp to his feet. That it's a light that illuminates his path. Because not only will concentrating on God's word shape my life, but get this, listen now, listen, listen. It will also begin to shift my world. Concentrating on God's words moment to moment to moment not only shapes who I am, my life, but it also shifts the world around me. So as I start spending daily time before God in prayer, reading his word, I begin to live out of what I'm concentrating on. God's word actually begins to be the lens through which I see and interpret the world, and it shifts it 
Instead of seeing enemies, I see friends. Instead of seeing people that I hate, I see people that I should love. See what I'm getting at? My world shifts around me when I concentrate on Jesus and his word. Jesus was someone who was proactive. Jesus was somebody who had to get away. And I want to ask you, if Jesus Christ himself had to often get away. I love the escape act that Jesus had. I love it. There, there's, there's scripture that talks about a groups of people just being around Jesus and Jesus just disappears. Just, I'm gone. Y'all are driving me nuts. I'm gone. And he escapes to a mountaintop and just spends time with his father. Or the disciples push him too far. Jesus is like, I gotta, I gotta take a break. I gotta go. Where are you going? Just leave me alone. And he escapes. Well, why is he doing that? He's doing it to keep God's word in front of him. He's doing that to keep God's word central so that he can be about the life of accomplishing God's will. So let me ask you today, just quite simply, what are you focused on? And before you answer that question, let me put a qualifier on it. You can only answer the question what you're focused on by answering really with what you're concentrating on. Because all of us would love to say, well, I'm focused on living a godly life. Are we? Are we? Are we? That comes from being concentrated. That comes from concentrating on Scripture. Largely. Over, 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 and over, and over, and over. That sets up our long-term focus. What do you, and this is true, to ask. So what do you concentrate on the most? I'm talking about time. I'm talking about thought. I'm talking about passion. I'm talking about desire. I'm talking about energy. What, what, what consumes most of that? That's going to determine who you are and who you will be. Is it money? Maybe for some of us, it's a relationship. Maybe some of us, 2016, you're still single. And it's like, it's 2016, it's almost Christmas time. I thought I'd at least have a man. Where my, my roommate got a man. I know I'm supposed to wait on my man. She wasn't waiting very good. She got a man. Where's my man? You know, for some of us, it's success. We think about it, we dream about it, we go after it. For some of us, it's our kids, right? They consume. I want to close with this. How you use your attention moment to moment will largely determine what kind of person you will be. And Scripture tells us the type of person we are to be, doesn't it? They say, be like Christ. That's sanctification. Keep it central. Keep it focused. Concentrate on His word. Thanks for listening to this message from our series, Minority at Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.